Hello, hello, hello. All right. We are up. I have the chat pulled up on my phone. All right. So today's uh, live, we are going to just dial in a new bag of coffee on espresso. We'll talk about everything that goes through my mind. I'm going to do a more traditional style of shot. So just like a nine bar type thing. Uh, so it's more applicable, but still the steps should be helpful. For, uh oh, I have an ad on my video. I need to turn the sound off. Um, Let's see. I don't know why there's an ad. I put no ads for this. There should be no ads. Stupid YouTube. I'm not going to be uploading this one as a podcast because I don't think this will be very helpful to just listen to. So it'll just be on here. But anyway. All right. So today I pulled off the shelf this Ilsa coffee that I ordered still taped shut. It's a washed pink Bourbon from Colombia, Daniel Ortega's uh, farm. And so what we know about this is it was 1850 meters above sea level. It's um, or it's a pink bourbon, not Katora. Um, let's see. We're finding lovely flavors of licorice and pomegranate with a jammy sweetness. So it sounds like it might be a bit more developed. We'll see what it looks like though. Um, all right. So I'm going to open this up. The first thing I'm going to do is just examine what the beans look like. From what it sounds like with a pink bourbon, those tend to be a bit more tart in acidity, but they have like licorice and uh, what was it, jammy sweetness. So that's pretty light. Yeah, that's actually pretty light. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to find roughly where on the grinder I need to be. Now, I've only really, I, I decided to use a grinder today that I've not used very much of. That's the Gevy Grindmaster. I've used it a little bit, but not a ton, uh, just because I've been so busy with other things. But uh, so I'm going to find where I should begin the dial at, and I'll show you how I do that. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, there we go. Let's see, what's, I can't remember the RPM range. This is kind of a, jam, a jammy button. It's kind of jammy. I feel like I need to grease that ish up. But I'm scared to grease up something electronic. Okay, we'll just go at the 12 speed. I don't even know what speed that is, but we're going with that. All right, where is Bird Chirp? Okay, in between 9 and 0. So I'm going to start at around 0.5 maybe just to see where that's at. We'll need to go pretty fine because this is a pretty light roast. So we're gonna, I'm gonna just kind of optically um, examine these grounds at this grind size, just to get an idea of where we're at. Let's see. Okay, that's too powdery. So if you feel it, it feels just like cosmetic powder, like wait, it's just really powdery. You don't want that. Maybe that'll work for like a blooming espresso, but I'm gonna go quite a bit coarser. Like I said, I've not used this grinder as enough to have a good bearing on where I should go. So this is true unfiltered. We're just figuring this out together. All right, let's see. Let's see where this is at. I'm just putting a few beans in. It's still really fine. Bang. That's uh, that's pretty nuts. It's that fine, that far off chirp. Let's try again. Just I'm doing a couple beans at a time. You don't need to do a lot. Just a few. They'll grind a bit coarser than what a full dose will be just because the way that they're passing through, they're not being caught in the grounds. There we go. That's more coarse. There we go. All right. There's a little grit in it. So if you want to be able to hear the grit. Hopefully you can kind of hear that. Uh, but I'm going to start here. This could still choke it or it could be super fast. I'm not sure. But that's where I kind of like to go to start my shots. So I'm going to go ahead and weigh this out. And we're going to grind it. So... I always take, you know, a little dose cup. I got the little ketchup doser that comes with the, the auction O's. 
let's see, I'm going to do 18 grams. Actually, no, I have a 20 gram basket in there. I'll do, I'll do 19 and a half. We'll start with that. I usually like really deep pucks, to be honest with you. They don't extract as uniformly, but I find that they taste better. And it's a similar approach to uh, like V60, my preference for V60 and filter. They definitely don't extract as evenly as like the Pulsar, but I find I'm, I prefer that stratified extraction type of experience. Um, so I like deeper pucks. So actually, I'm going to go all the way to 20. Why not? We're going to see what that looks like depth-wise in, in the basket, and we'll go on from there. So we got, I don't know what the retention will be like in this. So I'll do 20.3. I'm just not sure. Then I I know I don't ever overdo the double the Ross droplet. I'll do two, maybe three squirts. That was like two and a half. Shake it up. I like to heart stop my grinder so it's hot. And I dump in. Seems like that sped up a lot about halfway through. That was weird. Anyway, I'm going to give it a good old fashioned tap. All right, we're going to put the lid on. And of course, you know we're shaking. Of course, we're shaking bacon. All right. So I've got my machine heated up. It's just on a nine bar profile. Don't worry. That's an expensive machine. It's fine. Then what I like to do is my workflow I didn't show in my video today with the blind shaker is because I didn't want to introduce more variables. Uh, but what I like to do with this is after tapping to make sure I get my full dose after that tap, and then after I take this bell out and make sure all of it goes in, I actually take the bell out. I take the bell completely out once all the grounds are in. The grounds might be a little bit above, so you don't want to just take this off because grounds can fall out. So what I like to do is this little, this little move that Doug showed me. You just kind of swirl, and it compacts it a bit. Now we're, we're down in there. We can take this off. No worries. And that gives it a little extra little extra compression. And I just like to do a little tap. You can take, like, it's, I don't think it'd be a big deal to sit here and, you know, do the top layer to make it perfectly flat. You can do that as well. I'll just go ahead and do it for the memes. But yeah, so you can do that. And then I'm going to take my decent tamper after a little tap, tamp, tamp, make sure we're fully compressed. All right, now we're going to see what this looks like. I know y'all are a little far away, but um, it doesn't, it doesn't super matter. All right. Get my scale up here. I'm gonna grab. A, I'm just gonna grab my cupping bowls because that's easier. All right, and then we're gonna go to. I have one called Italian, so that it's straight nine bar. So there we go, and we're gonna go. All right. I can't remember what the output is, the volumetric output here, but we're gonna we're gonna see. All right, so we're starting with pre-infusion. It's gonna go up to about six bar before it moves on to full infusion. So here we go. We're at full nine bar. And uh, yeah, we're too fine. There's no drips coming out, so we're too fine still. We're choking it. So I'm going to go quite a bit coarser. Yeah, yeah. It's surfacing on the bottom, but wow. These burrs must produce a ton of fines in order to be this choky at that grind size. That's pretty, that's pretty shocking. So I'm going to go ahead and prep the next shot. Let that run a bit because it'll be cleaner to tap out um, once it's done. So I went almost a full number coarser. We're going to do a second shot. So this is completely blind. I've never used this coffee. I've, I like I showed you, I've not really used this grinder at all. I have no idea where we're at. So we're gonna dial this in together from start to finish. And we're gonna get some tasty espresso. All right, assuming this coffee's good. I don't even know how good the coffee is. All right, there's a little bit extra in there. Let's dump that out. All right, here we go. 
Yeah, for the meme again, we'll taste it. It's not going to be good, but actually, not terrible. It's not terrible. It it tastes like it might be a little roasty. Actually, there's a little roasty toasty bit going on with it, but not a big deal. All right, so we're done with the grinding. Let me go ahead and dump this puck. I need to get a rag. There's my rag. I knew I had a rag out. I'm gonna do a little flush. Y'all are just getting truly unfiltered. I'm not, uh, after I pull another shot and start tasting and uh, talking about it, I'll, I'll read some of the chat questions. But let's go ahead, wipe that off, and we'll go ahead and get this next one pulling. So I'm going to shake it a bit, shake it a bit. I kind of just do all around the world. All right, tap that lid. We're gonna tap that bell. And then do a little little swirl to make sure it's nice and level. Then again, like I said, you can take the WDT if you want to kind of smooth out the top. Boop. You just don't want to unsettle what we've got at the bottom. The bottom, it should be pretty nicely distributed. And uh, yeah, based off of what I just showed in that video, then we double tan. Boop. Boop. Perfect. All right. We got that. I don't even need a scale because this is volumetrics, but you know, we'll do it anyway. This has proven to be like one of the most accurate machines I've ever used on volumetrics. It's been, once you're dialed, if you're not dialed in well, it doesn't do very well because it doesn't do it based off of a preset amount with a flow meter dispensed. It does it based off of a predictive algorithm once coffee has made it through the puck or once water has made it through the puck. So I've overcorrected. A full number was way too much. We're not even hitting nine bar. So I'm now getting a feeling for this grinder, but we'll see how this goes anyway. That man should be really tasty. Well, if it if it stops, I'm stopping it manually. Woo! 60 gram output. That may be really nice. 20 and 60 out with that kind of flow rate. Might as well taste this. Give it a proper stir. That could be fantastic. You always want to taste. One of your flub ups could be fantastic. That's not bad. That's drinkable. That's drinkable. But I want to get it dialed in a more realistic situation. You can't just guess that that's going to happen every time you pull too many variables whenever you're doing something like that. Yes, this is going to be roasty. There's like a there's like a, a slight burnt type taste to it. Not super unappealing. Probably would be best with like a declining pressure type of profile, but uh, we're going to go with what we got. All right, we're going to cut back on that and then this should be this should be pretty money. This should be money. Money in the bank, shoddy, what you think about that? Bloody, bloody, blah, blue, blah, blah. All right, so third shot should be money. Come to Coffee Fest in Madrid, Ryan? Sweet, yeah, we'll definitely see each other. I have a chat there, so you better come watch it. All right. Let's go ahead and get rid of whatever comes out. All right. Thank you for all the compliments in the chats about the video today. I was happy about that. I want to give a shout out to my buddy, Huey Pedroza, who helped me. He refracted all of the, I pulled all the shots, did all the puck prep, did all of the distributions. He sat here and refracted all of my shots for like many hours. Um, I've hired him on as like a part-time aide. He work, He helps me like five to 10 hours a week. He's um, in the, in the Patreon and Discord. He just doesn't really act much, but he, uh, he's the, um, Still the reigning Portuguese barista champion and is an awesome person to have nearby. 
great person in general. And uh, yeah, so he's also one that ships out the prizes from the competitions. So if you if you're in here and you've won one, you've probably chatted with him via email. But that's Hui. Hui. All right, here we go. Just kind of leveling off that top bit. Nothing redonkulous. Could be a little tippy tappy, tippy tappy. All right, let's see how this goes. Then once we have it dialed to like rough parameters, we'll do it based off taste and we'll decide if we need to updose, underdose. We'll decide if we need to go coarser, finer, longer, shorter, um, uh, bigger, lighter, whatever it is. So this looks like it'll be about right. There we go. All right. Yeah, this looks about right. Yeah, there it is. That's a, that's a very common shot. If it doesn't stop automatically, I'm going to stop it. Oh, it did anyway. Cool. Perfect timing. 52 grams out, 20 gram dose. It was in... I didn't see the time before it went away. Oh, well. All right, let's give this a taste. And again, for people just now kind of tuning in, I'm dialing in a, um, a somewhat lightly roasted coffee from Ilsa. I believe they're in South Carolina. This is a Columbia Pink Bourbon washed. Um, I just opened the bag at the beginning of the video. Uh, but yeah, so this is the fourth shot. First, I have not really used this grinder. So first shot was kind of seeing where we need to begin. It was too fine. Then I overshot it. And now uh, we're right around there. Okay. Let's do this. Very lively acidity, but there's that ending that I'm not a fan of. And I'm scared of pushing. The issue is, this is one of those coffees where I'm at a crossroads. To make a traditional espresso is going to be difficult to taste good. And it's because there is that harshness that comes out on the finish from pushing the extraction. But it's a light roast. It just has a bit of roasty um characteristics so if i push it too far i'm going to get a lot of that roasty character though the extraction may be more balanced if i do lesser which will lessen the amount of that roasty character then what might happen is i might get a sour shot sans roastiness so what i'm actually going to do and this is something not everyone can do sadly so this might uh, uh this might negate some of you from um this being an option but i'm going to lower the temperature on this um on this. I'm going to go down to 85 degrees Celsius. I know that's a huge drop, but I'm thinking if I maintain a long extraction, a big extraction with lower temp, I can probably curb the harshness from the roast level and uh, still have a similar extraction. So we're going to, we're going to do that. And I'm going to pull another at the same settings, roughly, we should be able to get, it might run a little bit more slowly. Uh, when you go cooler, it tends to run a bit more slowly. Uh, one flush should get us down to the right temp. That's one of the great things about this machine. So at home, you may have to wait longer if you do have a PID controlled machine where you can control the temperature more. Um, but yeah, we're going to, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do here. Now, normally what I would probably recommend doing if you aren't able to change the temperature is I would probably recommend pulling the bigger shot that's not sour and adding a pinch of salt to alleviate the bitterness. Um, and that's absolutely a kosher thing to do. You, you're not always going to get roasts that hit spot on for you in your palate. So if you end up having something that is 
uh, great, but there's like a little harshness from the roast. Uh, you can add a little little dribble of salt or like a saline solution in order to smooth it out. Um, and that that should really, 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 really help. Um, salt is a kosher thing to do. LOL. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. So I'm going to get another ground grind uh, going and we'll see how the next one tastes. So the next one will probably run a little more slowly, as I said, because I dropped the tent by six degrees. It was at 91. So it wasn't that high to begin with. But we're going to go ahead, do 20 grams again. Because I want to ensure I'm getting enough extraction because this has the potential to be sour. It's one of those things where it seems like the way they roasted it was a really quick development time, but at a really high temperature. So when they dropped it, the outside was a bit more roasty than maybe intended, but the inside is quite light. And so overall, you have a very light roast, but it, it, has, um, it has some of the roasty characteristics due to that roast uh, approach, which isn't the worst thing in the world. You still have a lively acidity, so it's not baked. That's the good thing. A baked coffee, you can't really salvage. Maybe you, uh, with a baked coffee, maybe you, you know, do a really truncated recipe to force any acidity out that is there. But with something like this, yeah, you are, you're, you, you have a little bit more wiggle room because you can't always add salt or something. I know that sounds really weird. Making sure all of it's out. All right. I know that sounds really weird, but it can be a good thing. Let's see. Let's wipe this out. You don't want any water in the basket. Do a little shaky, shaky. So one of the reasons I think this works so well, uh, and Michael Cooper actually just pointed it out, is uh, um, you're removing a lot of the static as well. So you're removing static po uh, post grinding, which is helpful, but also you're homogenizing the grounds in a vertical way along the Z axis. And the reason this is likely helpful is because you are um, uh, the first grounds out and the last grounds out are going to be kind of different distributions against the middle grounds that are being ground up. And the reason is because uh, the, the 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 load of coffee on those first beans uh, that they're being that they're experiencing as they enter and exit the burrs versus the middle beans versus the final beans are all going to be different. So they're all experiencing varying distributions. That's why a slow feed is really nice, is you can get a more consistent grind throughout. But uh, so the idea of shaking is to homogenize those a lot better. So we're going to go ahead and pull. So again, we're doing this one at 85 Celsius, uh, hoping to curb some of that roasty flavor while maintaining the balanced extraction. Because I, I like the acidity a lot on that last one. It was very balanced. It was very, it was very lively, very punchy. All right. So this one's coming. There we go. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. All right. So there we are. Same ratio. I'm going to stir it up and see if that improves the taste a bit. All right. That did. That's a whole lot better. Like a lot better. There's still a little bit on the end, and this could still benefit from a pinch of salt, probably, but that's a lot more balanced, a lot better. And now I'm actually getting a sweetness, like a graham cracker coming out that I think would have been there, but was kind of covered up by that that bitterness that was kind of overtaking the end ending. They have very lively acidity. There's definitely like an anise flavor in there, which is not ideal for me. I'm not a fan of black licorice. 
Um, I just love pink bourbon, so I had to buy one. But anyway, all right. Let's see. The chat on my phone's not uploading, but I see there's a lot more chat actually going on on my computer. So I'm going to reopen the YouTube link to see the chat going on. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. Um, what grinder are we using today? We're using the Gevi. Um, uh, let's see, TCCC. Two questions. How do we know what variable to change after we play with grind size? And how do we know to look at different variables beside grind size? It's a great question. So one of the, so the way that, it's difficult to really generalize these, but a good way to start creating a roadmap in your head of how to approach it. Uh, one of the things is uh, temperature is a good thing to kind of hone in roast level. So if you have something that seems roasty, uh, I would uh, lower temperature, right? That's going to immediately help with that. Even if you are pulling short. So one of the big telltale signs is if you're already pulling short shots and it's still tasting roasty, lower the temperature. You may not be able to get rid of all the roastiness because it may just be a really roasty coffee, that, especially if it's really dark, but that is going to be something to help with roast level. Higher temperature is going to help push extraction. So if you have a really difficult to extract bean and you need a little bit higher extraction than you can get by going finer without channeling or things like that, then you can raise temperature. But that is something that is not 100% necessary. It's definitely a helpful variable to have control over, but is not 100% necessary to mess with because I know a lot of people don't have that capability or they do and it's in five degree jumps or something, which actually is a great, is probably the best thing is to not give you too much control over temperature because people, you know, have confirmation bias thinking they did some brilliant thing by lowering their degrees by 1.5 Celsius and they think they've changed the espresso when in reality, that's not really a tasteable difference, but I digress. Um, grind size is going to um, is going to really allow you to open up surface area, obviously, which is going to allow for a more intense extraction, but that might not be ideal for your coffee or your, or your taste preferences in general. Um, going coarser is going to obviously lessen the amount that you can potentially extract, but it can increase the evenness of flow rate. It'll likely decrease the viscosity of your resulting beverage the coarser you go. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, if you're looking for something viscous, of course, going too fine will also reduce viscosity because you're choking up the bed and the bed's filtering out a lot of that thick goodness that can potentially get through. So there's a fine line there when it comes to fineness and darkness. The number one, the number one way to control extraction yield, the number one way to increase it, to decrease it, yada, yada, is obviously going to be your ratio. So a one to two versus one to three at all things held same, uh, the one to three is going to be exponentially higher extraction than one to two. Obviously, you're introducing more solvent. So that's another thing to keep in mind is you don't have to change grind size. Maybe you can pull a little bit more if it's tasting sour as opposed to trying to grind finer to open more surface area. The, you don't want to get lost in you know the, the quantum world by going finer and finer because you're con convinced you need a one to two ratio or whatever it might be. Time is something that I don't pay too much attention to, to be honest with you, unless I'm specifically looking for a style of shot. Obviously, if I'm doing a one to three ratio in under 20 seconds, that would be considered something like a turbo style shot. And you want to maintain under 20 seconds because that's it's less indicative. Of, it's less about the time and more about the grind size needed to hit that time is the grind size needed to get the profile of a turbo shot, if that makes sense. So 
because uh, if you're doing a one to three in 30 seconds, that's like a normal shot of espresso, just a bigger ratio, right? So time is something that I don't think nearly as much about uh, because it can also get you stuck. You might think, wow, this is only tasting good at 40 seconds, but I need it at 30. Well, if it's tasting good at 40, it's tasting good at 40, just whatever. Uh, the thing is, is yes, I'm always pushing for data that shows the most efficiency in extraction because I do think that is a good barometer uh, moving forward whenever we're trying to learn what to do. And it allows a coarser grind size when you have a more efficient extraction, uh, which can further make your extraction better and can lessen the amount of bitterness in your final cup. But as I said, um, it's not always the best ind indicator. So uh, those are kind of uh, the way I, I kind of view the variables of extraction uh, to an extent. I hope that was you know somewhat helpful. Um, I'm glad I'm not the only one that is sensitive to those roasty notes that pop up in lighter or light medium roasts. Always find myself stuck between too much roast or too sour, which gets confusing. Yes, well, it's also difficult to differentiate between bitter and sour. That's a very known phenomenon just in the tasting world, in the sensory world. You do a quick Google search of sour, bitter confusion, and there are loads of uh, journal articles about this. So it's also a very confusing thing on the tongue. It could be roast, uh, it could be bitter and you're thinking it's sour or vice versa. So it is it is a difficult world when you jump in. And sometimes, especially with flat nine bar profiles, the window can be so infinitesimally small that it's very hit, hard to hit. So that's one of the issues with flat nines is they give you a really small window because it is not the ideal environment for uh, a well-balanced shot. When you have an ever-increasing flow rate trying to maintain a high pressure, you're going to introduce channels in more heterogeneous extraction, which is going to cause less than desirable flavors in your cup. So that is something to keep in mind as you're pulling flat nines is it's a very small window. So you make one little adjustment, it goes from sour to bitter. That That's probably a realistic issue and is not on you. Uh, I was shocked at the difference utilizing a slow bean feed. At the initial grind setting, the shot went from 26 seconds to 15 seconds. I went from 19 to 15 on my DF64E to get the same shot time. Yes, exactly. And it's very obvious why that happens, you know? So what's happening is you have those burrs, which have those aggressive... Um, you have these burrs, which have much bigger in inlets, okay? They have big inlets like that. So that immediately will take the beans in and it's no work. For the torque, it's not using like any torque to make that happen. You could hand spin these and you could break beans. It doesn't take much torque, like decimals of a Newton meter, right? Um, as the beans are fed through, they turn into congestion. It turns more and more congested because immediately it goes from those massive gaps to teeny tiny, what's, what's the genie saying, Aladdin? Teeny tiny living space. Is that what he says about his lamp? Great big power, teeny tiny living space. I don't remember what he says. Uh, but anyway, so they get more and more congested as they're going through the burrs. Same with, with cone burrs. I just have flats in my hand. So they get more and more congested going through. And the more beans that are in front of it, the more congested it's going to get. And so the more they're going to experience the rotations before they can get out. So it's essentially like... Um, it's like this. Here you go. This is a great example. It's like if you go to a restaurant that's not used to uh, having a long queue, right? They're not used to it. They're like, okay, we normally have one person come in at a time. It's not a big deal. Then one day they have a rush, so they don't have lines set up. So they have all these people, boom, at their bar ordering, boom, 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 boom. And it's like pandemonium. And so it takes a lot longer because they're trying to decide who is next. How, how do we do this? I'm stressed out. This isn't orderly. This isn't fashion. I can't figure this out. Whereas you could instigate lines, a nice cue, and it's going to be much more efficient. You come through, you check it, boom, 
come through, check it, boom. Everyone knows their place and they go through easily. So that's the difference between slow feeding and just fast feeding is you are giving time for those beans to be chopped, to be cut, and to be ejected. Whereas when you dump them all at once, because the the, the workload on these pre-breakers is so low and there's so much room inside these burrs, they're crushing them. Boom, 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 boom. And they are, if they can't feed into it, maybe the burrs are too filled up and they can't go through, then they'll just sit here and those big crushers will keep cutting them, keep cutting them, keep cutting them. And so then you have grounds just sitting here going. And one way to easily prove this is if you have a horizontally um, mounted grinder, Dump your beans in all at once, turn off the grinder almost immediately, and then open your grinder up. Obviously, unplug it. Open it up, and you won't really have any whole beans. They've all been cut, like, immediately. But why does your grind take eight seconds? It's because they have to sit there and rotate and rotate. They're gaining heat. They're cutting more and more. They're getting smaller and smaller because they're waiting to get out of the burr set. It's just not It's not a possibility to dump it all in and to have good um, uh, to have consistency from the first beans that had nothing in their way to the last beans, which sit there waiting until they can get out. So there's a massive discrepancy in particle size distribution from the beginning to the end. When you slow feed, you're essentially <clears throat> trickling people into that restaurant at a much more reasonable rate. So yes, it takes longer to grind, but it's a lot less stressful for the beans as they make their way in. They don't have to take as many revolutions to get cut out. They spit out at a, at a bigger particle size, which will drastically affect your shot time. Let's see. On your WDT findings, I've got a P P64, had been dosing into the portafilter, playing around today with the Versa cup it came with, but since it has no lid, figuring out how to shake. Yes, yeah, so I don't think, like, I think shaking is really great, and I think it will help you. I don't think you need to shake with your Versa, because what you can do instead, and in fact, you could get another doser for this, but take, I wouldn't necessarily, <coughs> apologies, I wouldn't take a really fine WDT. Maybe get like um, a whisk from your kitchen and cut off the bulb so you just have like really intense, you know, pretty thick needles and stir aggressively inside the dosing cup. That's going to homogenize it pretty much as good. So I don't think you necessarily need to shake it. I think if you stir it aggressively with something like that where you're whipping it, kind of like you're whipping whipped cream or something, I think that'll do essentially the same thing. And you're like pre-WDTing it. I think that'll work essentially as well. Might be faster and you'll probably have less clumps than with the shaker. I don't necessarily think the clumps are an issue except with distribution, but uh, that remains to be seen with further testing. Um, I feel like holding it with your palms, covering the opening and just shaking would work with that style. Yeah, probably. Did you also grab the Kenya from Il um, Ilsa? I'm having lots of trouble pulling on espresso. I do have the Kenya. Yes. I've not tried it on espresso. Would a niche style dosing cut be better? No, it would not. So I was showing that this is something you could play with in the video and, and it is, you can play with that. But the issue is whenever you're shaking it, you're shaking, shaking, shaking. Whenever you, whenever you stop and you pull this off, it just kind of goes at the angle you're shaking. So it'll over-concentrate one side, which is not ideal. Um, and that's one of the big issues with grinding it direct to portafilter is your grinder will always have one place of emphasis and that's impossible to really take away without WDT. And as we see, at least from the data, it suggests that WDT can harm uh, puck prep if you're using something that more evenly displaces the grounds into the basket. It'll likely help direct to portafilter, but is it ideal? It doesn't seem to be ideal. So 
when you're shaking like this direct into the portafilter, I don't think it's necessarily ideal. The reason that the Weber tumbler works so well is because it has this bell inside, so it releases it all through the middle, and the insides right here have a slant. So it kind of, yes, they're coming out from the sides, but because of the slant, they kind of centralize and they spread out. So when you lift and you're tapping, they centralize and spread, and that's what's giving you the really, really nice distribution at the base. Same thing with uh, my silver one. It's also the bell. It doesn't have a top, but you lift, and because it's slanted, they just funnel it into the ground. Then as you're tapping, it just kind of fills in the spaces. So that initial fill, the first half of that basket, it's really very even. And then as it keeps going up, it will dome a bit or something, and that's what you need to kind of maybe help with the distribution of. And then tamping it, double tamping it, making sure it's really compact is going to help increase the density, which will help improve the efficiency of that extraction through the puck. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I, um, I 3D printed lids for the catch cups on my Ode and niche to be able to shake the grounds. I still WDT and level before tamping, though. Yeah, I would try try not WDTing. Shake, shake it, shake it, and then try to as evenly as possible. The issue is, is if you're just dumping... If you're just dumping from a dose cup into a portafilter, you're having the same issue as direct a portafilter. That's what you have to realize is if you dump it out, it's coming out at an angle and it's overemphasizing one spot. That's why the Weber is, is ideal or something that has the shape like the VersaCup is when you lift, it funnels it more centrally. Okay, so you have a more even distribution of those. If you dump, that's different and you probably still will need WDT. Okay, so there's a difference between dumping and then releasing centrally, I guess. I don't, I don't know how to say that. Let's see. Curious how grinders regulate the bean flow into the burr chamber. I can see how the hole, the hole with the hole in the niche, but how does EG1 regulate bean flow? Yeah, so the hole in the niche does regulate bean flow, and that's like the the the, the salvaging factor of the niche, in my opinion, as far as uh, the fact that they put that on there, I think shows great, uh, great understanding. Uh, they didn't originally have that. They added it later, but I do think it's a really great thing. EG1 doesn't have a feeding mechanism. Uh, not all grinders do. Now, you you are, thankfully, I've been pushing this for years, ever since my Bentwood video like two years ago. Um, I've been pushing pretty hardcore uh, the idea of an auger in grinders in order to feed the beans in a consistent manner that also will pre-break them, which uh, is really good for the beans and for the final burrs anyway. And so more and more grinders are doing that. The EK-43 has been doing it for forever. There are really old grinders that have augers because it was a very simple way of doing it. Uh, the Gevi has an auger. The EG-1 just uses gravity to feed. Uh, so there's a chute inside and it goes straight to the burrs. Um, but yeah, so uh, you, you have some different ways of doing it. Uh, that, that And then like the Bentwood has an auger that act, is very tight with the chamber. So it's a pre-breaker, et cetera, et cetera. How would a dual bore grind, dual bore, how would a dual bore grinder work? I don't know why I said that. Would a dual burr grinder work similar to a slow feed grinder, e.g. monolith grinders? Somewhat, yes. But even still, you're, if you dump it all into that cone burr, it can still experience more mashing than, than desired. And because it is so efficient and quick, that upper, that upper burr is so quick, it's still getting those beans out to the final burr set incredibly quickly. But it is, yes, it is better than just dumping it all into one burr that does everything. One burr does all is always going to be worse than double or triple, whatever. Um, what about using the doser than using a leveler? Would that help the top dome that forms without WDT or shaking better? How about using a doser than using a leveler? No, levelers are never going to be better. No. And the thing is, is the, oh, the NCD 
um, results were actually very confusing for me uh, originally is I was like, why did this perform like as well as horizontal tapping? And honestly, the reason is because it wasn't really disturbing the lower layer. It was just kind of compressing the top layer. Then when I tamped, it was, it was like, you know, Bob's your uncle. So the OCD though, or the NCD, whenever you're doing direct to portafilter, or if you're just dumping from a doser into this, you're still not going to help that bottom where it was over-concentrated. So once you tamp, you are tamping poorly concentrated areas and over-concentrated areas. And so the, I, I just don't recommend levelers ever. I don't think they're ever helping. Um, I think you can do better without. And as you saw, horizontal tapping did, did the same, right? And so... Uh, and in fact, it was shocking that it did that well, to be honest, because every other study I've ever seen from very, some of them, they wouldn't release their results because they were intrinsically tied. But um, even some I've seen from motivated people, um, the, the, the NCD, if you're doing direct to portafilter, the NCD performed way worse than just horizontally tapping, like anywhere up to one and a half percent worse uh, on extraction yield. So it is not a, levelers are not helpful. Um, and I've preached this since the beginning, but even at the beginning, I said in my second video ever, I think it was, I said, if you, if you have, a, if you have an OCD, you spent 200 bucks on it and you really want to use it, set it at its most shallow setting and use it just for the very top layer. And that's only if you like need to see a very flat puck before tamping, then okay. But I don't think it's ever helping. Um, I think at worst it doesn't, it's going to do nothing. Um, no, no, no. At best it's doing nothing. At worst, it's going to completely mess up your bed. Uh, let's see. Do you know if the Weber blind shaker would work well with the clearance on the W uh, on the WUG two? Uh, underneath here, I'll just try it. Um, actually, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, it'll work. You may not be able, well actually with that dome thing, huh? Huh? You know what? I don't think it would. If you're using that dome thing, I don't think it would fit. No. So you would maybe need to dose into something and then into this or, um. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wouldn't fit the, the, no way. This is much bigger than the dosing cup that just barely fits underneath it. It's quite a bit bigger. This is probably two centimeters taller. Um, I may, I may have missed this in a previous video, but how important is a puck screen when dialing in? When dialing in, if you're going to use the puck screen, you need to continue, you need to use it and dial in. Absolutely. Uh, as you saw in my puck screen video, there was a vast difference of extraction between naked and puck screen. So if you're dialing in and you're planning on using a puck screen, you need to dial in with a puck screen. Like that's that, right? Uh, so when using the Weber Tumblr, it's better to only WDT the, the top of the dose. I, 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 the data would argue yes. Uh, well, if you're going to WDT at all, I would not go deeper. That's what I can say almost certainly. Um, I would say um, almost certainly. It may it may actually harm it to WDT the top. I have not done the looking into that. I'm assuming it's better than having a little bit of mounds. Uh, maybe tapping is even better though. And an ugly looking top might be preferred to what the WDT can give. I don't know how much harm needles are doing to well-dosed grounds. Uh, that's the issue is I, well, I, I very specifically set up my methodology and testing and ensured that I was um, testing a very specific thing. And I understand there's always something else to test. I've had already over 50 comments saying, oh, I wish you would have tested this, 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 this. I get it. I get it. But that was seven hours of work, and I did what I thought was the best to understand as much as we can 
with good data. That's one of the big issues is people just want to pull data on everything, but it has to, it needs to be like good data in order for it to really make sense and be applicable. And unless you're pulling 50 shots each, which, you know, less than the amazing data can actually be helpful on when you're pulling limited shots, you need it to be really clean data. And so what I was trying to do is, is do make it as clean as possible to see how applicable the results are. And so I think, I think what I've pulled is very, is very helpful, but is obviously not finished. Right. Uh, in fact, I wanted really badly to do 12 shots, 10 to 12 shots of each. And I would have done that, but um, I had a limited amount of coffee and I wasted about 30 shots because I was, I had the coffee tech monolith on my, on my bench. And that's what I started it with. And I was convinced I was going to make that work, but it was just so horribly inconsistent. And the retention is so horribly inconsistent that it was greatly prolonging or delaying the testing. And it was giving us really terrible numbers uh, because how just inconsistent it was. And so uh, I ended up after about 30 shots of data acquisition, I just shelved it and we restarted with the EG1. And so I was 30 shots out at that point. We had wasted a lot of time. Uh, and now I know I'm never not using the EG1 unless I'm purposefully doing a smaller scale one with a home grinder. But the thing is, is it will it will give so much noise in the data that I don't know how helpful it's going to be. That's the thing is we're trying to see what in an ideal world it's going to be. The issue is with cheaper grinders, you're never getting an ideal world. So you need to understand the trends that what likely will happen based off of a more controlled grinder. But I'm happy to do tests with the DF64 or the Gevi or something like that. But like I said, they're just inherently more inconsistent. So you're going to get a lot more noise in the data. So it's going to require a lot more shots in order to see the trends. And I simply don't have the time to do that in a in a controlled manner. That's the issue is uh, the worse the equipment is, the more shots are going to be necessary in order to have any type of confidence in the results. And that's 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 the downside. The monolith was so inconsistent that honestly, I think the DF64 would have been just as good on uh, on consistent it, consistency issues. It was very frustrating uh, to say the least. But um, whew, let's see. Will the Weber tumbler work on the Zerno? Yes, it absolutely will. And I've got the Zerno right here. Yeah. Oh, easy. Yeah, easy, easy. It'll work on it. Easy. What about using a normal dosing cup and then shaking it down a few times? Would that have the same effect as blind tumbler? Maybe. The thing is, is I can't speak to that with any type of confidence because the release mechanism is one of the biggest things. If you're doing a normal dosing cup and you just dump it in the basket, it's going to be different, period. You And I'm not saying you need to buy the Weber brand one. I know there are other things like the Versa cup. For, I don't think they're selling anymore from Alpchino. But you need something with a center plug. Because that is what that's what the big thing is. Shaking it, I think, is doing something. But I would argue, I would argue, and this is speculation, but I feel very confident, and that's a feeling, not a stat. I feel very confident one of the biggest reasons that the distribution was so good without having to do anything is because lifting this up and it was allowing a more even dose into the basket. So it's taking away the variability of the grinder's feed into the basket and it is replacing it with a much more accurate one. And I think that's why uh, my speculation in it about how great horizontal tapping in the NCD was is I was using this to dose into it. I wasn't shaking it. I was just lifting and tapping. And it was giving me incredible, consistent results, even without anything else, right? So I think that's the big thing here is shaking, I do think helps because it homogenizes grounds. And that's how I've always done my espresso for the past forever. And I've talked about it in videos and people are always like, why don't you direct a portafilter? And I never would say why objectively, I would say, I just prefer doing this. I think the homogenization is important. I can't prove it though. And so I do think homogenization of grounds is an important part of this, but I think arguably the thing that is really allowing for consistency is specifically the plug. 
I, I that that's that is my um somewhat informed speculation there. Do you think grinding at an angle on manual grinders really makes a difference? Yes, absolutely. Since we are probably doing sub 100 RPM, does a slower slanted feed really help? Yes, it absolutely does. And there have been many people in Discord who have commented on this. Uh, you can try it yourself. Uh, do a shot of espresso like this. Then do the same shot of espresso at like a pretty intense tilt and you're going to have a much faster shot. Any pro tips on the Legone P64 with SSPHE burrs? It depends on what tips you're looking for. IWDT, but I have a very uneven top afterwards. That's why I use a leveler before tamping. It does make sense. But the reason you have a very unlevel top is likely because you're holding the portafilter unlevel or you are doing this at an angle. What I oftentimes see, take a shot. I said often. What I often see is people WDTing like this. This is one of the issues is my WDT results, I think, are going to be better than most people who would replicate it. And it's because I've been doing it for so long and I like I know how to do it. But anyway, what I see very, very often is instead of this being parallel, people are holding it like this. So then when they come in, it's look at that. If you're holding the WDT perpendicular to the ground, it's not perpendicular to the portafilter. And so then you're going to get slant this way or you can do it like this. Or maybe you're holding this level and you come in like this with an angled WDT. So there are a lot of different ways I see people that are doing it. Also, I see people will be really good going to, if they're right-handed, when they're going to their left side, it's really good. And then when they make the swoop sweep back, then they get a little bit more inconsistent. And so maybe you're moving too many grounds to the left side from your vantage point. There are a lot of issues I see when people are doing WDT. One of the big things I recommend people do when doing WDT is to be quick with small circles that don't go very far past the middle of the basket, quick small ones that are very aggressive because what you're trying to do is fluidize the bed. So boom, 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 and come all the way to the top. And then I will usually reverse direction and go a little slower as I level out that top. My main thing has always been to make sure that bottom is as um, is as uh, distributed as possible because I can't see it. So I'm really aggressive there. Then what I can see, I kind of reverse and slowly finish up. Um so I do see that a lot. And I think that likely is an issue that you're experiencing. Um, but yeah, I would not use a level after WDT. No way. I have an 078S and it is fully seasoned. I'm still having trouble dialing in my shots. Birds are shim aligned, but on my F58, I can barely get above six bar before the flow rate dramatically increases. Are you, are you, um, um, are you, uh, you've shimmed it so that you can get to touch? You can get to burr touch? Because this doesn't sound right. Um, I feel so bad. 30 shots of at most 20 grams each is to 600 grams of wasted coffee. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but the good news is it's not everyone is doing this. This is like necessary data. And so it's a singular experience of this waste occurring. So it's one of those things where if we want any type of advancement, there is going to inevitably be coffee waste. Um, and I'm using not shell. I mean, I'm using good, good coffee, but it's usually like, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm not going to argue it is. It is waste. I'm wasting the coffee when I'm doing it as far as not tasting it. It's not waste in the sense that I am fueling uh, data acquisition and hopeful Im improvement and advancements in the coffee industry, which in the long run, hopefully will outweigh the negatives that it produced. I'd love to supply with the necessary coffee beans for that study on the EG1. Come on. Any advice on dialing in the 078S or ideal pressure on that compared to Cone Burr and K-plus where dialing was a breeze and super easy? Um, yeah, I mean, you just need you need to go finer. I don't know what to say. Uh, like, hopefully you're able to get the uh, burr touch. One burr side's been clockwise and the other's been counterclockwise. 
enables the spin at the burst surface to be twice the speed. It'll be at the burn speed. I have Let's see. I'm receiving an SK40 grinder to match with my DF64E. How many pounds of cheap coffee should I start with this season? Honestly, with cones, I don't think you need to do as much. Um, I would say I, if you really want to season it, maybe 10 pounds. There are like max five pounds is probably fine. Um, but yeah, there's some exciting data that I've seen that hopefully will be public soon-ish about seasoning that I think will be really illuminating. Um, but yeah. Simple question just about your preference. Would you grab a WUG 2 or a Ditting 807? I Personally, a WUG 2. No no, no doubt. Do you recommend grinding direct into the blind shaker? Yeah, I, I grind direct into it. Absolutely. Um, any tips to reduce retention, specifically on the P64? I'm using four spritz of RDT, but I'm still seeing whole beans in the center of the flat burrs when I disassemble. I'm running at four to five for RPM. Any tips to reduce retention, specifically on the P64? The issue is with the P64 is you have that stinking horizontal mount, or I mean, it's slightly at an angle, but that's going to, it causes the bean feed to be a little problematic. Um, I think there are mods that you can put in it that, let's see, I, no, it should, it should automatically have that little circle right inside where you dose. So it hits that circle thing and goes to the edge, right? If you don't have that, you might need to modify a lid so that once it hits, it shoots immediately to the um, to that but i'm you know i don't i don't know that's that's difficult that's a weird thing um how do you think the porky press applies with a uh, blind shaker so the porky press i'm convinced is not doing what a lot of people say i made a video talking about it with some data a few years ago i'm not convinced it's creating these channels for the water to get to the bottom of the puck for a faster saturation i think what it's doing is it's increasing the density of the puck and with increased density comes slower shots and higher extractions um, that's not a necessary connection, but I think it is in the case of the porcupine or porcupine, the porcupine press, whatever it's called. Um, so, uh, I, I think that it's just furthering the density. So I actually think that might be a, a thing that's helping here is it is making the coffee more dense as you're shaking. It. It's not fluffing it up. And maybe that's helping with the extraction as well. So that's speculation, but I think that is likely, I need to, I should, I should measure the dry puck density of each of these. And my bet is the the blind shaker would have a, a much more dense, um, reading. Why won't low fine burrs work well on grinding for espresso? Because they're not creating enough fines in order to give you an adequate resistance during extraction to build up pressure. So that's why like the ultra low fines burrs uh, or the um, uh, on the EG1 or like the brew burrs on the EK43, you have to go like past chirp in order to get enough resistance to hit nine bar. It, it probably won't even maintain nine. I showed in my pressure video recently, pressure flow video, that uh, the difference between the ULF or the brew burrs versus some other burrs, I can't remember, uh, and the difference between their curves during extraction. And the pressure is lost almost immediately on that brew burrs once it hits nine bar because it can't maintain it because those fines are very, very low in number. And so because of that, you don't have the puck resistance to hold that pressure. So that's kind of the issue is it's, they're not creating enough of a bimodal curve to give the resistance necessary. Um, could you show your WD procedure in real life? Yeah, so I showed it in the video. But yeah, uh, what I do with the WDT, I show a more close-up in the video. But with WDT, what I do is I take take the, the, the collar. I have the coffee inside. I start and I, let's do it like this. This is going to be a little difficult. I start at a side and I do small circles while going in a big circle like this. And then as I'm doing it, I'm coming up 
as I'm doing it, I'm coming up. You see those needles coming up, coming up. And then when I'm near the top, I kind of reverse direction just to final polish it. Uh, but like that. Why double tamping is more consistent, I didn't understand. Yeah, so double tamping is just giving you a more uh, compact bed. So Michael Cooper Quantitative Cafe uh, shows this, um, uh, shows um, multiple tamps and how it increases the density of the puck. And so a lot of times when you single tamp, um, uh, so it's difficult to explain. You need to look at his data. I talk about in the tamping video. I should have put a link to it, but go and read his article on his blog posts on it. It's very helpful, very illuminating, but double tamping. If you were to do 10 shots in a row of a single tamp versus a double tamp, the double tamp will be more consistent. Um, and if you're doing the same grind size, we'll give you higher extraction yield um, and longer shot times. I need to go past chirp on Vario with steel burrs. Yes, that's very common with light coffees on a Vario. Like, very common. In fact, some people, the way that theirs is built, they can't even get espresso with it, even past it, unless they align it. Um, has someone tried double tamping with a force tamper? Yes, I have. And it can be good, but also it can harm the puck more if it is unseating it. We saw potential variability in shots that could be explained by unseating the puck. But I can't prove that. I didn't have enough data. It's not statistically significant to be able to say something like that. But I think arguably you might be unseating the puck or or making cracks in the puck or something with that piston. I'm not sure though. Do you also like ULF burst for EK43S or only for EG1? Only EG1. The ULF for the EK43 to me is not as good as ULF for 80 millimeters. The brew burst though for the EK43 are, are fantastic for filter. They're just really clear. What do you think of pre-infusion? Any tips on when to use it? Pre-infusion is great. Um, I think it's a very helpful um, um, practice to observe when pulling espresso. Uh, it, it helps to saturate the puck quickly, efficiently, and will help the puck expand before it is fully hammered down with full pressure. Uh, so it gives you a bit to rectify some potential issues or inconsistencies in puck prep. So I think, <coughs> I think honing in a good pre-infusion is an important thing to do. I probably did miss some comments. I'm trying my best. There's, It's wonky uh, on uh, YouTube. Someone said I probably missed some comments. I probably did. Um, uh, let's see. Any solution for slight overflow before tamping? Should I try leveling it all or just go into the tamp? I would tap. If you have overflow, tap it. That'll settle it into the into the basket more. If you still have overflow, you need a deeper basket or less or less coffee in the basket. You're probably overfilling the basket's uh, volume. You, that's an important thing. You don't want to do too much. You don't want to overfill a, a basket's potential volume. Um, force tamper with double tamp is my daily driver. Ergonomic reasons to stick with it over my v, uh, decent V4 tamper. I'm, I'm curious if you've seen inconsistency with that because like I like I say, I've seen, and even with the one issue that kind of drove me away from force tamper uh, two years ago was in competition, I had Morgan using force tamper and there were times where uh, they would tamp and the puck would literally um, would jump, or it would. Uh, one time, it just broke, like tamped. We looked at it, and there was a crack in the puck. Uh, very, very odd. And that's with just the flat bottom. So I was very uh, that that kind of scared me early on uh, with the force tamper. And then I kind of saw with those results, even though they weren't statistically significant uh, to make these claims, it looked like the data trended in a specific way. Though, like I said, I can't say that with any type of confidence. Very low confidence. Um, like 70% confidence or something. So yeah, um, I, I just really enjoy the decent. I think it's very easy. Um, 
but yeah, double tamping. One of my friends who acquires a shiz ton of data and is a very smart scientist uses a double tamp force tamper uh, in their protocol. So I don't think it's a bad thing to do at all. In fact, I love using the force tamper. It just makes me scared on cracked pucks or, or unseated pucks. You said earlier that ULFs are your favorite burrs. What made you choose them over 98s? No, ULFs at 80 mils are my favorite at 80 mils. And they are and, and they are one of my two, probably now three favorite burr sets ever for filter. When we're talking electric grinders and we're talking filter coffee, my three favorite burr sets are 98 millimeter uh, uh, brew burrs, 80 millimeter ULFs, and then um, uh, the turbo burrs on the 078. Those three, I think, are all wonderful for filter in different ways. Granted, I think uh, it's like the most clear would be the 98. The most middle would be the uh, EG1 ULFs. And then the most uh, like juicy, maybe juicy is not the greatest word, but the most blended out of those would be the turbo, even though they're still very clear. It's they're all there. It's it's like um, it's like if we had a clarity and juicy spectrum, I guess the clearest would be the 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 EK43. The middle would be ULF and down here would be turbo. But yes. Does low RPM grinding get less fines? Not necessarily at all. We don't have any proof of that. Um, what are your general rules for pre-infusion, at least for beginners? Pre-infuse until first drop? Maybe. Um, maybe. Yeah, you could pre-infuse till first drop. My biggest rule is go as fast to flow as you can. That's my biggest rule. If, pre if the only way your machine can pre-infuse is really low flow rate, I would say no, don't even pre-infuse. Um... With precision baskets, do you still recommend a 30-second shot time or more like 20 seconds due to the higher extraction? I do lower shot times with those fancy baskets. You prefer the EG1 with the ULF or EK43 brew burst or filter? It depends on the coffee completely. Depends on the coffee. Um, very much so. Overfill is easy with darker roast, correct? Same weight input. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Lighter roasts take up less room in the basket because they're more dense. Uh, new thoughts on MG2 versus on coffee? Uh, whenever we get to like magnesium and calcium, we're talking cations. That's very difficult to say anything with objective, with anything objective. You know, people for forever have said uh, calcium adds body and magnesium adds complexity, whatever. But honestly, that I don't find that to be the case always. And Rohan's done a lot of tasting on this and, and tends to be an agreement here where it's a very much a case by case situation. I would never, I would never lop a cation like that into one taste group ever. In fact, there are a lot of times I've done multiple drops of calcium and I've improved the clarity and the uh, uh, um, like the um, um, complexity of a coffee. But a lot of people say that adds body and whatever. So it, it, I would I would not comment on that. I think a bigger comment is uh, bicarb, the amount of bicarb, and then whether or not you're using sulfates. Um, can you explain a good pre-infusion routine? Fast flow, bloom, then hit it. Or so I would say fast flow then kind of stop the pressure, something like a, a bloom, or you could do a fast flow with a cap of pressure. So do like, if you have eight or 10 mils a second, do that and cap the pressure at two or three bar and let that sit for a bit and then ramp up to eight, seven, eight bar, whatever. Um, I think that would be a good way of doing it. Maybe five, 10 seconds of that pre-infusion, but a fast fill and uh, capping it at a low pressure before going to full. What are your favorite 83 millimeter burrs for espresso? Probably the Diddy, the, the Lab Suite clones. Probably. Have you tried the normal dose tamper? I don't know what the normal dose tamper is, so no, I have not. Have you modded the EK43 in any other way than putting in the brew burrs? Yes, I have the Titus burr carrier in it um, and the 
Titus key in it, which is a much, it's a very needed improvement. The key is very important because the normal one flexes, but um, yes. Um, you said that ULF and SPMP are similar. No, it depends on which ULF we're talking about and which MP we're talking about. Are you able to provide a timeline for revealing your super secret rebel project? I cannot. What are your thoughts on buying from a company like Denning Malkunig versus one man run items, Dan versus WUG2, when we talk about long-term security of expensive items? That is a great question. Um, so that's something that and actually needs to be talked about a lot is uh, point of origin when you're buying a grinder. And it's something that's never talked about, and I don't really talk about it. We look at prices and we talk about budget kings, but obviously budget kings are going to come from areas where labor is going to be cheaper. Now, not to get political or anything like that, but that's something to kind of take into account. Obviously, a German-made product is going to be more expensive than products made in other areas of the world where maybe minimum wage is a lot lower. And so that is something to like take into consideration when we're looking at these things and we're wanting to support certain businesses. And obviously, we want to take into account big business versus like homemade, homegrown businesses. And we, you know, we want to support smaller creators like that. But realistically, if it's a one-man operation, two-man operation, long-term support is not as guaranteed as something like Himro Malkunig, because Didding, Himro, Malkunig, all that, they're a huge company that's going to be around for a long time. And so their support seems to be like it's never-ending, really. Um, so I, that's a really good question. Um and honestly, I would say, you know, if you are looking into these top end grinders, I would hope that you have a little bit of mechanical know-how in case the worst does come uh, to happen, because you may need to be doing something on your own at some point. Like there's no support now for like verse or not verse lab for uh, ultra grinders and things like that. So you need to have either someone, you know, or, or some know-how on your own. Um, oh my, then should I avoid my poor man's pre-infusion on my GS GCP? Uh, I don't know why you would. Oh, because it lowers it lowers the flow rate. What I would do is I would do full infusion, then poor man pre-infuse it. That's what I would recommend doing. So I would do full flow rate, like turn it on, don't open the water knob, and then open the water knob. And that uh, after it's after you see liquid on the bottom, slow it down, then speed it back up, or something like that. Any chance of discussing shorter shot times, potentially narrow distributions like 64 MP or 80 ULF? Not from this perspective of it being turbo, but rather they're so efficient that you don't need 30 seconds. Great question. So yes, that is a good question. So essentially what, uh, what Rohan is asking is whenever you're using more unimodal burst sets like these ULFs, multipurpose, you know, brew bursts, things like that, you tend to see people reporting much lower shot times. And the reason is because they tend to be more efficient in the water flow, allowing for more even extraction and lower bitterness. Now, this is not taken into account the potential heat damage different uh, diameters might have or different bird geometries might incur, which can which can hurt the extraction or not the extraction, but the taste at the end. But let's take that out of the equation. We're looking strictly at the unimodality of the grounds. So whenever you have something that is more evenly distributed uh, grounds wise, the water can more freely and more evenly, the water column can move through the puck more evenly, which is going to give you a much more efficient extraction, allowing for less time. So you see this turbo shot paper that came out and I made a video on it two and a half years ago, where the argument was essentially, in theory, as you go finer, the extraction yield should go up. So if we have a graph, the extraction yield should continue to go up the finer that we go. But in reality, it went up. And then at a certain point, it started to go back down. And people tend to live on the, the side of the hump where it's more fine on, than the other side of the hump. So you can hit the top extraction 
and it's not the finest that you would need to go, if that makes sense. It would be a more coarse grind size. Now you can normally people live to the to that side of the hump where you ed, you t end up being a bit finer. And so the if the coffee ages, it runs faster. You go even finer. And what's happening is you're actually increasing the difficulty of the water to move evenly through the puck. You may be increasing the shot time. The shots might look good, but they may not taste that great. Now you can get similar extraction yields in a lot less time with much coarser grounds by going to the other side of that hump. By increasing the grind, ground size, you're allowing a more even flow through the puck, but it's not maybe extracting as deeply into the grounds, but it's extracting more overall. So when you're in a finer grind setting, you're getting an, a similar extraction, but from fewer grounds, relatively speaking, than a coarser grounds uh, at a same extraction yield with less time. That one is extracting more from more or extracting less overall from more grounds. The other one's extracting more overall from less grounds. So you're getting an even extraction number, but it's made up of different things, different solubles. So what we're saying with <coughs> these burrs is they're giving you such unimodal distribution. You can go finer to closer to the middle of that peak, which the peak would be different from more unimodal, but I digress. And you're able to get more extraction at less time. So you'll be able to get a similar extraction to, to something that takes 30 seconds, but can do it in 19 seconds. So you may not get the body that you'll get from finer, from more fines that will potentially migrate into your cup and improve your body experience. Uh, that may not affect flavor, but they affect viscosity. But you're going to get a more flavorful, less bitter, and more balanced cup, uh, assuming there's not too much heat damage, yada, yada, yada. So it's very common for people to put in a put in coffee and want it to go really fast in order to optimize their burrs and the distribution of said burrs, giving you a tastier, less bitter, more balanced type of shot of espresso that if you were to have pushed even further and gone even finer to hit those typical parameters, you would have a really bitter cup because it would have like relatively over extracted. Pressure recommendation for pre-infusion with Flare 58. I normally go as hard as I can. Uh, until I see it, uh, like I just go boom hard, and uh, right when I see any types, anything on the bottom, I just slow up for a bit before I, I fully infuse. I have an 078 with turbo burrs. I'm happy with it for filter coffee, but also have a Profitech Go for espresso. What would you recommend for a sub $800 purely espresso focused grinder? Um, sub $800 purely espresso. Uh, what it seems like right now is the DF83V might be a good option. I have it somewhere. I don't know where. Oh, it's on the ground over there. That might be a good option. I've not used it yet, though. But people have been, you know, toting it. But it's one of those things where, you know, you, you have to take into account what you're wanting in a grinder, um, how you're wanting to buy it from where you're wanting to buy it, um, how you want to approach buying it and things like that. So, yeah. Any tips to brew Eugenoise on pour over? Do not approach it like Arabica. It's not Arabica. Do not do 1 to 16. Do not do 1 to 17. Do like a 1 to 12. You're, you're aiming for like a really under, it, it, you're thinking it's under extracted. <clears throat> but the thing is, is what does under extracted mean? It's relative to the bean, right? T technically, you can get up to 30% on Arabica, but it doesn't taste good. So is 21% under extracted? No, that's extracted well for Arabica, right? Same thing with Eugenoides. You can get a certain extraction. I've never pushed it that far because pushing it is awful. So you want to be like pretty low extraction, honestly, like around... 14 to 16%. And that's where that's it's good extraction. So, you know, with shots, I would do 25 grams in the basket and like 33 out, like almost a one-to-one, -one, right? So 
Are we missing out on complexity in our espresso just using normal carbon filtered water from our fridge? Does using Lowe's products, for example, change the flavor profile dramatically? Yes, you'll get dramatic differences uh, using uh, by tailoring your own water. It doesn't just have to be Lotus. You can make your own you can make your own recipes at home. But yes, absolutely. You'll be able to greatly change the taste of your espresso uh, doing different waters. You can do post uh, I know Rohan, uh, I've name dropped him a few times. Who's in here? Pocket, uh, pocket science coffee. Um, he has done, uh, a lot of tasting espresso and different things by, while, by adding minerals to the coffee itself, not during extraction. And you can play with that a lot as well, which is super easy. Uh, slow feeding your grinder result in lesser fines. Yes, it does. Yes. I ordered 83 millimeter silver night lab suite, but recently saw you were recommending the uncoated ones. Uh, how much of a difference is it? I wouldn't sweat it. I wouldn't sweat it. What about pre-infusion on a Breville Breeze Express when it's time-based, but you don't have flow control? Yeah, I would. I I still like to use it. Honestly, it does a good job. It's not necessary, uh, but I think it can help you, especially if you have a lesser quality grinder. Could you describe Pepe's tea oxidator process in a bit more detail? I kind of want to pull up his description of it because it is freaking hilarious. I'm going to try to do that. Um, Milk in Tennessee, terrible? No, it's not. Get old Mayfield. Come on now. I'm from Tennessee. Milk there ain't terrible. Come on. What are you talking about? Grew up in Tennessee. I'm a Tennessee boy. Come on now. Uh, let's see. Soluble loss on unimold birds might also be quicker, thus resulting in shorter shots. Yes. Uh, well, uh, uh, yes. And a lot of that's because it's more even flow, right? So overall, soluble loss is more quick. Overall right? Because it's not having to fight to hit certain areas where solubles may be hiding around fines that aren't really dissolving much. Um, does the build on WUG2 match the build of other Titan class grinders? Apart from you, no one else has covered that equipment despite it being extreme, extremely interesting in principle. I think yes. Uh, I think it does rival some of the other Titan grinders. Yes. Not all of them, but yes, definitely some of them. I said Mayfield. Is it not Mayfield? Now, it's been so long since I lived there. Oh, my goodness. It's been like 13 years. Uh, I thought it was Mayfield. Look up Mayfield Milk and see if I'm wrong. I was in Chattanooga, and I thought it was a full Tennessee thing. Maybe I'm Mayfield. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, will you Odyssey Argos? Yes, I will. Question one. Sorry for all the questions for me. Do you think that barista competition should incorporate sections about Robusta coffee and making coffee with it? I don't think they have to, no. Question part two, people in previous videos across other channels have been mentioning how Arabica is being really difficult to grow. That is a lot of um, uh, uh, misinformation, I think. Misunderstanding and misinformation. Some Arabica is hard to grow, but not all Arabica. You throw Katur and it's going to grow freaking anywhere. Like it's not, that's the thing is people want to look at Gesha. That is difficult to grow, yes. But Arabica as a whole, that's not true. Um, it's just not true. There's a really, there's a really, big hype train around like making certain species cool because they're more resistant overall than other uh, species, which yeah, sure. Canifora robusta is more overall as a whole species. Yes, it is more robust than Arabica, but there are varieties in Arabica that are very robust and can stand up, withstand lots of climate uh, issues. So no, it's not necessarily true. That's just like a hype thing to talk about right now. You talk to uh, producers around the world who grow both, like they they can attest to it. There are places where they're saying we can't stop the Katora from growing from this area. And it's not just Katora. There's a lot of different ones that grow like that, um, that are just, you know, weeds, essentially. They can't like, it, it's going to happen, you know? So 
No, that's that's not real. That's not real. But people do talk about they they speak in hasty generalizations. They generalize all of Arabica as this weak darling, when in reality, uh, not all of them are like that. A lot of them are sure. Yeah, uh, very very many of them are. But uh, no, not not really. Non-copy question. Do you think the general quality of life in Europe is better than the QLO in North American general? I think that's very difficult to say. I, I, I because I'm very biased. Um, so I, I don't, I wouldn't even feel comfortable talking about that because it also changes very, uh, very, very much so from country to country over here. It's just very different. Um, I think people on both sides are going to have a multiple, a multiplicity of opinions. Uh, and I just, yeah. I'm out here in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. There's great milk out in Memphis. What's the, uh, what was the one that we used? It was in glass bottles. What was that farm? Oh, it was so good. And they even did chocolate milk that I was obsessed with. And I made mochas with it. And it was so good. Wow. What was that farm? Oh, they were so good. I'd buy them at Whole Foods and at Sprouts. Oh, they're so good. I can't remember, but I loved it. Mayfair, maybe it was Mayfair, not Mayfield, by the way, in Chattanooga. Anyway. Um, okay. I think I'm going to go ahead and end now. Cause I've been doing this an hour 12. I always go over, I always try to go under an hour and it always goes over an hour. Um, yes. Uh, go to the hub in Memphis. I, uh, whatever milk they're using, um, is, is the stuff that's the stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. I think that, I think we're going to be good there. Looks like Mayfield is around this area. Yeah, there you go. It is Mayfield. I was right. Mayfield. Good. Um, glass bottles. But by the way, you're right about Mayfield. Good. Yeah, glass bottles. It, well, it has a red cap. Glass bottle. Red cap. And you can get non-homogenized, which is... Actually, you can only get non-homogenized. They don't do homogenization because they have... They they believe in the there's there's you know there's always a medical article written about something and they believe that when you homogenize it the globules in the coffee get so small they can be absorbed into like your arteries or something and it's not good over time so they refuse to homogenize their milk um, and so uh, it's not homo non homogenized milk so you get that delicious cream cap in your I'm sorry to the the you know vegans vegetarians whatever who don't drink milk but let me tell you as someone who drinks milk. Oh my goodness, that cream cap is so tasty. You take a little spoonful of that. Oh my god. But you you know, you can break it up, you whisk it up, you shake up the milk, but it is creamy, delicious. It's some of the best stuff. And I think actually, where all they serve to? I don't know how big of a radius they have, but yeah, they're in Memphis. They're based right outside Memphis. And I would get deliveries from them, and it was just mm. and their chocolate milk. And they did eggnog every every holiday season. Their eggnog was good. Okay. Um, Strauss, that's it. That's it. That's it. Strauss Creamery. Thank you. Thank you, Strauss. Okay, cool. Um, it's Strauss. It is Strauss. Oh, that, that, thank you for saying that. It was Strauss Family Creamery, and they were so good. They were so good. All right. Uh, that is it for me today. I am going to hop off. Uh, thank you very much for joining. I didn't pull as much espresso as I thought, but we got, you know, we talked about it some. We talked about it a little bit. And then I got off on chat stuff, which is honestly what these videos are mostly about. But I like to do a little bit of, you know, a little show. Maybe I will turn this into a podcast because there was a lot more talking than I thought. But in any event, I appreciate you all for hanging out with me. Um, thanks for supporting the channel, for uh, being in the Patreon, for being in the Discord. We got lots more competitions coming up. I have so many machines that need to get out of my freaking house. It is disgusting. Um, I'm just trying to, um, that Mara that we're shipping is going to cost like 
a lot of money to ship. So I'm like swallowing that cost and moving on. But wow, 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 wow. Uh, it's disgusting how much I have to get rid of. So be ready. Um, you may not want all the stuff, but I need to get rid of it. So go ahead. And some of it could be a gift for a friend or a family. It's fine. But anyway, all right. Much love to you all. Thank you for joining. I'm being redundant at this point. So I'm just going to end with, I hope that you brew something tasty today. And cheers.